today to glorify you and to magnify you and to lift up your great name today, God. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much, God. Father, we're just looking forward, Lord, to diving into your word today, God. Father, we pray, Lord, that, God, as we look into your word, God, that it would just stick in our hearts and in our souls, Lord, that it would challenge us, God, to step up to that next level with you, Lord. Challenge us, Lord, to go out into the highways and hedges and to compel people to come, to let them know, God, that there's hope in your son, Jesus Christ. The hope of glory, the hope of all of eternity is found in him. So, Father, we thank you for that today. We ask, God, that you would just anoint, continue to anoint every ounce and every moment of this service, God. Every one of our children as they go back, God, their teachers, Lord. Father, we pray that you would just saturate this place in your Shekinah glory, God. And may it settle upon the hearts and lives of your children. God, that when we leave this place today, we could say that we hadn't been to church, but we can say that we've been in the presence of the King. That's what's important, Lord, that we're in your presence, God, not that we're at church. Lord, we need you now more than ever before. We need you, Lord, to be true to your word. You said you're that one that sticks closer than a brother. Lord, we need you. And so, Father, we ask that you would do that today. And God, help us to be careful, God, to always praise you and thank you for everything you do for us, God. Not just our finances, not just our health. Not just for our jobs, but God, for everything. The simplest of things, Lord, the breath of life that we breathe and don't even think about it, Lord. The health to stand and to walk, God. God, a good mind to hear and to understand. Father, just the simple things of, of eyesight to be able to see the wonders of this world that you have created. To hear the simple sounds of a baby crying, God, or a bird chirping, Lord, or to hear the wind blow. God, help us to thank you for everything. Because everything is because you spoke it into existence. And everything remains because you tell it to remain. So Lord, we just praise you today. We honor you for being our God. The only God. The Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. And everything in between. You are God. All other gods are man-made. All other gods have no life. You are life and life more abundant according to your word. So, Father, we thank you for that today. And because you are life, your children can have life eternal in your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, bless this service today. And we'll always praise you. And we do thank you and always praise you for who you are and what you mean to us. In the precious name of Jesus. And can everybody say amen? Amen. 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 We're going to dismiss our young people this time. Their teachers. you have your Bible, want to go to Acts chapter 20 with us. Acts chapter 20, we're going to start around verse 7. <clears throat> I have been excited about this series on marriage. I, I've told y'all before, I don't make any bones about it. God's not, I'm not a pastor or a preacher of, of ser series. I like to be, but I just, God don't give me a lot of release on those things. Uh, he typically gives me what he wants me to say every, every week and I find when I try to dive into series is it's just me and not him, and he, he always has something else for me to say, so I never can follow him through, but I'm thankful he allowed me to do this. It must have been necessary, or he wouldn't allow us to do it, so I'm just thankful for this series on marriage, and if you recall, the first week that we got together, we talked about um, the institution of marriage, who instituted it, what constitutes a legal marriage in God's eyes. And then we talked about why it's so much under attack and that it's under attack spiritually and not necessarily figuratively, right, or phys physically. Uh, we talked about why it was under attack, right, Jesus' life. We talked about that. We talked about that it represents this, the plan of salvation. So it's not chance or circumstance that Satan attacks marriages because he don't want us to have life and he certainly don't want you to have eternal life. The next week we talked about... Uh, the roles, the man and the woman, and the love that we should have toward each other. And I thought that was very well, well done that God had laid on our hearts. So today, we're going to be talking about um, some things here. Five keys to a long, prosperous, successful marriage, if you will. What constitutes that? Uh, what God's Word says about it? And so he took me over to Acts chapter 20. And I was thinking, why in the world are we going to Acts chapter 20? I've never thought I've never read anything about marriage in Acts chapter 20. But there is. Okay, and it's in a different way. I've heard people say, 
<clears throat> if you find a good spouse, you are very fortunate. You ever anybody say that? If you have a good marriage, you are fortunate. I want you to know today that fortune has nothing to do with it. Amen? Amen. I don't believe in chance or circumstance or fortune. I believe in divine appointment. Amen? God has a plan. He tells us that in Jeremiah chapter 29 and 11. So fortune has nothing to do with it. But it's ironic today that the fellow's name, that's the, the, I guess the, the star of the story, if you will, his name is Eutychus. And Eutychus's name means fortunate. That's what his name means. But fortune has nothing to do with a good spouse. It has nothing to do with a good marriage. God's blessings, hard work, love, true love, dedication, and sacrifice are the reasons for a good marriage. Amen? Amen. All those things. That's how you have a good marriage. You can't go out and buy anything that's going to make your marriage better. Uh, you can find all kind of self-help things out there for your marriage. You can go to a lot of counseling for your marriage, and I'm not saying all of those are awesome, and I think they all have their role. But first and foremost, there's some things that you need to know that will help your marriage. I've often found that marriage, like, like salvation, there's no magic bullet. There's work involved, amen? There's steps involved. And so it's the same here today. So we're going to look at that today. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 2 is the first verse I want you to see. And this chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is the, is the chapter of love you usually hear people say in the Bible. This is what uh, Paul was saying here to the church at Corinth. And Jesus is saying, God is saying to all of us today because we know that God is love. And though I have, Paul said, the gift of prophecy. A lot of people search for the gift of prophecy, right? People want to know when, what God's going to do, when and how and where, right? They wanna, they have, they're intrigued with knowing those things. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there today that want to be known as prophets, right, and that want to prophesy. But Paul clearly here says, though I have the gift of prophecy, and he did, and understand all mysteries. What mysteries is he talking about? The mysteries of God. And all knowledge, again, the knowledge of God. And though I have all faith, Paul said this, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, which translates love, he said, I am nothing. Amen? So first and foremost, as we end this series this week on marriage, although you may have a lot of things in your relationship between the two of you, uh, if you're married, and though you may have a lot of things in your relationship when you do get married, if you do not have love in it, it will not, it will not be successful. Or at least it won't be successful as God determines to be successful. Okay? Love. you got to have God in it. Because he's love. Amen? I tell people all the time when I'm counseling with them before, before they get married, I say, look, first and foremost, you need to make sure that God is in your life and it is in your marriage. Marriage is tough because you got two people living now as one. you got two different thought processes now coming together as one. Right? You know how difficult that can be sometimes. If you don't believe it, wait till you get married and your wife says, where do you want to eat? <laughs> Amen, somebody. Y'all ever pulled over to media and said, I ain't going no further. You tell me where we're going. <laughs> Can I get a witness? Amen. Huh? You got to have marriage counseling when you get to McDonald's. Is that right? <laughs> you order a Big Mac, tell them, let me tell you what just happened to me. You know, and poor little lady behind her, she just wanted to say you something. She didn't want to give you counseling session. <laughs> but you're different, right? So you got to have God. I tell people, marriages can be successful without God. There's plenty of them out there, right, that you could see. But it's a whole lot better with God. Amen? You're not going to struggle near as much. And if you do struggle, you've got somebody that can help you. This is God, right? You need Him. So God has to be in the, in the middle of your marriage. That's why I want to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I told you a couple of weeks ago that if you marry just out of lust, if you marry just out of infatuation, that marriage, that's not going to last long. Right? You've got to marry somebody because you love them. Right? And not just love in word, but in deed. Amen? From the heart, you have to love them. Because I told you then, 15 years from now, that person's going to change. They're going to change how they look. They're going to change how they act. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to, I don't like to use the word swear, but it just fits here. You're going to swear that you married an alien. You're going to wake up one day and you're going to like, who did I marry? I don't even know you anymore. Okay, so you better have something more than just looks and attraction although that's part of it 
you better love that person, right? Because, look, the older you get, your teeth's going to get gone. Your hair's going to get gone, right? Your belly's going to hang out like mine. You're going to have stuff popping out you didn't know it could pop out from. <laughs> Granny Hall told me one day, she said, Mark, when you get older, stuff just starts growing <laughs> out of nowhere. You just hair starts coming out everywhere, right? <laughs> you better love that person, right? Because if you're in here, I told you two weeks ago, if you're in here and you hadn't been married at least 15 years, you don't know that yet, especially if y'all were young when you got married. Everything still looks okay. <laughs> don't you know God's got a sense of humor? Listen. That's why your eyesight goes bad the older you get. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Huh? <laughs> All you know is what it used to look like, and you can't see as good, so you're just imagining, right? It's kind of like it, it's like tracing over a, you know, when I used to be little, I'd take a picture, and I'd put it over, and I'd trace it, and I want somebody to think I drew it, so it's kind of, your mind's tracing. You're like, Yes. <laughs> Y'all didn't know why you went blind, did you? <laughs> now you know. Yep. All right. So let's look at this. So fortune has nothing to do with it. There's five things here. Let's read the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 7 through 12, and then we'll get into these five, uh, five keys to a long, prosperous, successful marriage, I think, as it pertains to God. In Acts chapter, seven, verse, or chapter 20, verse 7 through 12, this is a story here uh, of Apostle, Apostle Paul. And uh, he had stopped by this place here, and he was going to uh, visit with them and eat with them here, break bread with them, if you will, not just physically, but the Word of God. The Bible says in verse 7, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. I don't want to hear y'all say nothing else. <laughs> Ever again about how long-winded I am. Amen. Paul continued in speech until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, <laughs> some of y'all be careful, you fall out of your chair and die. He sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third law, third, three stories high, and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him, and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again, and had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till the break of day, so then he departed. And they brought the young man alive, and were not a little comforted. In other words, they were extremely excited the fact that this young man was now living, but they were also excited the fact they saw a tremendous miracle take place in front of them. So five keys as you look at these 12 verses. In particular, we're going to look at about four of them. The first thing that stands out here in verse 7 is one the, the number one key is, as I said, you to keep God in your marriage. Make Him the first priority. The Bible says here in verse 7 that it was the first day of the week when the apostles came together to break bread, right, to study the Word of God. To have a successful marriage, I just briefly said it, but it's important to understand that you got to have God in your relationship. Because God is relationships. He's the one that instituted relationships, right? When he created Eve out of Adam, they were no longer two but one flesh. He created that relationship. And his relationships have continued from that time forward. You and I are relationship people. We were not designed to be alone. Amen? Although some people do live alone all their lives, but as a whole, we're designed to love, right, and to attach and to come together. Relationship. God is all about relationship. The relationship that you and I have as husbands and wives is reflective of the relationship that we have, right, in, our, in Christ and the church, right? We talked about that. It's all about relationship. Somebody said it best in our 180 class earlier today, right? People have religion, but they don't have relationships, right? That's what's wrong in, in a lot of cases in churches and throughout this world, there's a lot of people with religion, but they don't have a relationship. Okay, They attach themselves to certain things, certain religions, these false gods or whatever it is they're attaching themselves to because it feels good, but they have no relationship. You can't have a relationship with something that's dead. Amen. I was waiting on the ladies to really get involved there. <laughs> Y'all disappointed me. 
I really thought right there, God, I'm going to get an amen and stand an ovation. Amen. Right? You can't have a relationship with that old dead man I got. But you can't have a relationship with something that's not alive. Okay? You just can't because they're not going to love you back. Right? That's why you can't worship false gods. You can pour yourself into them, but they can't pour themselves into you because they're not alive. But you can pour yourself into Christ, and he'll pour himself into you because he's alive. Amen? And he's alive in us. Amen? He lives in us. And it's his blood, right, that life-giving blood we just sung about that moves in, in, in our veins and our bodies, right, spiritually speaking. So it's the same way, right, the, the relationship between us and our spouse, right, husband and wife, we pour ourselves into each other, and if we've got God in the middle of that, it's going to be successful. That's why he said there are no longer two but one, right? Just like we're not separate from God anymore, when we get Christ in our lives, we become one in Christ. What did he say? We are now heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We are with him, one, right? We are one body in Christ. And so it makes sense that it's the same way with you and I with our wives, right? With God in our lives, we become one in each other, and with him we become one with him. So you must have God in your relationship. I talk to a lot of people now, nowadays, it seems like Pastor Keith and I were talking about this Saturday. There's a lot of folks we talk to now that are really struggling in their relationships, okay, really struggling. And in a lot of cases, when you talk to a lot of them, not all of them, but in a lot of cases when you talk to them, it's the one thing that's missing. They either had not been in church in a long time, they've kind of walked away from God, or maybe they're coming to church, but they're not involved with God anymore. He's not top priority in their relationship anymore. Or maybe they haven't even got to know him as a personal savior. There's a lot of folks there. Some folks are the per, one person saved and one person's not saved. And the Bible talks about that, not being unequally yoked together. Right? Why? Not that it's a sin, but that it's just difficult to live that way because you, righteousness and unrighteousness, they don't, they don't mix. We talked about that last week, right? It's like oil and water. You just, no matter how much you put them together, shake them up, stir them up, it's going to separate because they don't, they don't, they can't stick. Okay? We, we run into a lot of that. The key to a successful marriage, if you hear nothing else today, is have God in it. I'm not talking about, well, I go to church. That's not enough. It's not enough to just go to church, get married in a church, which most people don't do anymore either. Get married in a church or go to church, that's not enough to say that your relationship's going to be strong in God. It's not enough to, to be involved in church. It's not enough to whatever you want to put in there. What it's going to take is a, is, is a sold-out person to Christ, accepting Him as your personal Savior, another person accepting Him as personal Savior. You put those two people together with Jesus as Savior, man, you can conquer the world. Amen? Amen. There's nothing you cannot, I tell young people all the time and older people, when I'm getting ready to marry them, I said, listen, there is nothing you can't accomplish with you and your wife and God. Amen. There is no problem that's going to attack your marriage in this world that you can't overcome it through Christ Amen. with each other. That's the beauty of that scripture. Man, you got two minds becoming one, and now you put God's mind, which is the greatest mind that's ever been and ever will be, together with your mind that he created, you're going to have the answer. I promise you. And you're going to succeed and you will come through that, whatever it is, on top. Okay? But now the opposite of that is, if you don't have Christ in your relationship, you're going to struggle. And as young people used to say, I don't know if they say it anymore, the struggle is real. Right? And it is real. Okay? You will have difficulty in your marriage with or without Christ. The difference is, with Christ, he said, I have overcome the world. And because he's overcome the world, you and I become overcomers, according to 1 John chapter 5. Amen. Is that right? I said that to you a couple of weeks ago as well. So the first key to a, to, a, to a long, right? Long, prosperous, not just, well, I'm hanging in there. <laughs> Man, I thought to some people, it's almost like they'd rather gnaw their arm off <laughs> than to go home to that wife or husband again. You know, somebody say, it's your anniversary. And if somebody else hadn't told you, you'd have never known it. Because they're not telling nobody that's their anniversary. And you go up to them and say, well, congratulations. How long have you been married? 
Whew, 30 years. I don't know how I made it. Right? Pray for me. You know, you hear people, I'm like, my gosh, man. You know, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, if it's that miserable, what in the world are you doing? Okay? You don't want it to be like that, right? If you've got, if you truly love somebody and God's in it, man, you, you hear some people, it's amazing. I told you about a couple that were in their 80s there that you remember I told you the lady got in the bed with her husband. She had dementia and her husband was dying. That's true love. Amen. I didn't hear, I didn't hear her say, well, let me get on in there. I guess he's going to die, but to get beside him. You know, <laughs> I've, been, I've been laying beside him all this time. He's been laying down on me the whole time. You know, he, she didn't say any of that. You know, she got in there because she loved him, right? So it shouldn't be grueling to be married. Long, prosperous, okay, and successful marriage. Prosperous not just in finances, although that's part of it, but prosperous in all the things of God and what he has for us in that marriage. See, before I go any further, there's a reason why people get married and they have ministers marry them and you have the word of God tied to it. Let me just say this. I'm old school, and this, I, this is not to offend anybody in here, okay, because... However you did it is how you did it, and, and, and there's okay with notary the public, and it's okay with judges, and I forget who ought to marry you nowadays. There's a lot of people can marry you today. But there's nothing sweeter because God instituted it. Did you hear? Listen to me. God instituted marriage. So there's nothing sweeter than having somebody that is a man or woman of God marry you, right, and using God's word in that, okay, because he's the one that instituted it. He instituted it. Although, again, I'm not saying that you, know, you can't do it any other way. You can. But it's just sweet when you get in there with God. And then you tie it to him and what, he's, what he said about it. And uh, let him sanction it. See, because when God sanctions a marriage, it's a beautiful thing. God's all in. Amen. He's all in with you. And he instituted it so he understands it, right? And uh, he can move that thing. And he's got a plan for you, right? So if he's moving that marriage as it pleases him, you're going to be prosperous. Amen. If you keep him in the middle of it, keep God in the center of your marriage. It's very important. Don't walk away from God once you get married. Stay with God the whole time, both of you, right? Secondly, in verse 8, this is a tough one, y'all. In verse 8, let's read this. There were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. What does light do? Dispels darkness. With light, hard to hide things, isn't it? If you want a successful marriage, have no secrets. I thought that was very interesting when you read this here. They went to this upper room here to break bread and for, for, for the word of God to be preached. And the Bible said there was many lights in this upper chamber. Many lights, again, representing the light of God. The word of God was strong in that area. But also where light is, there's no darkness, right? And where there's no darkness, you can't hide things. Have no secrets. Now, that's a tough one. <laughs> very tough. The next thing he said that these lights were in the upper room, which means that you and I got to be on the up and up with our spouses. Okay? If you want a successful, prosperous marriage, young people, old people, middle-aged people, have no secrets. Okay? Be on the up and up. Be on the straight with your wife and with your husband. Okay? Hiding things from them is going to cause issues. <laughs> I'm telling you because, you know, things that are done in darkness, the Bible said, will be revealed in light. Amen? It will come out. The Bible says, be sure for your sins will find you out. Amen? Amen. And so I think it's important for us to make sure um, that, you, that you have no secrets with each other, but that you tell and you're open. Just like you and I should be open with God, right? There's a lot of times people, people try, to hide, try to hide what they're doing as if God can't see it, as if God don't know about it. Remember, he's light. So wherever Jesus goes, darkness is, is dispelled. And those things, things are revealed, right? So if God is everywhere, guess what? You can't hide nothing from God. That's why you hear preachers preach that all the time, okay? So we try to hide things from God. And if we'll hide things from God, who else you think we'll hide them from? <laughs> Each other, amen? So if I think I'm pulling the wool over God's eyes, you ain't got a chance, amen? I'm going to try to do the same thing with you, or you're going to try to do the same thing with me. Here's something I hear with marriages and relationships uh, all the time. Well, he did it first. <laughs> well, she did it first, right? So they did it. So it's revealed now. So I'm going to go do it, but I'm not going to tell them. I'm going to hide it, right? So everybody, we're all trying to play hide and seek with each other. The best answer in a relationship is to be straightforward, right? Just go ahead and just take it, amen? That's the best thing. To do. Honesty is the best policy. 
That's a true statement, and that's biblical. It really is, right? To be honest is a good thing. To be truthful is a good thing. The Bible says the truth will set you free. It will. You'll think you'll be setting free when she's hitting you with that rolling pin, but it's going to be all right <laughs> after, okay? Because at least you got it off your chest, and she's got it off of hers. <laughs> you could have a wife like mine. She told me before if I did something stupid like that, she found out about it, and I didn't tell her. She said, while I was asleep, yeah, anybody else heard that, men? You got to go to sleep at some time. Isn't that right? That's why I don't get no sleep in my house. I'm worried about my wife doing something to me. She goes to bed before I go to bed on purpose. But she said, I'll fill a sock full of golf balls and wear you out. <laughs> oh, boy. So have no secrets. Make sure you got it all out there, right? Look, if you truly love that person, like the Bible says, to love your neighbor as yourself, if you truly love the person like the Bible says we should love them, love them as Christ loved the church, right, withholding nothing. You know, what does the Bible say? One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, if it's within my power to do good, don't withhold it. Amen. Jesus did not withhold the good that he had for us because he loved us. If we truly love that person like we love ourselves, then we wouldn't do that to ourselves, so let's don't do that to them. Right? You hear people say, I hate secrets, but yet they're keeping secrets. Right? That's an oxymoron. How can you do that? Right? So it's important that we make sure that we are honest with ourselves, honest with God, and honest with our spouses. If we are to have a successful marriage, God must be, must be at the top in our marriage and all through our marriage, and we must be honest with God and with ourselves and with our spouses, right? You don't want to go buy that car and then come home and tell them that you bought the car. <laughs> no. Well, we could afford it, but it don't matter if you could afford it or not. You know, you need to be talking to your spouses, right? Oh, honey, we got to be out of the house next week. I sold it. <laughs> Won't go well. Right? We, we got to get out. Because she's not going to understand that you got $20,000 more than what you paid for it. At all. It's her house. And how dare you sell her house? Right? Well, especially without her not knowing about it. Okay? Bass boat's been the, been the demise of a lot of men. <laughs> Bought that bass boat, drove it home, parked in the yard as if she wasn't going to see it. <laughs> men, hear me. She will see the boat. She'll see it. <laughs> and ladies, he's going to know after that 10,000 pair of shoes in your closet. He's going to know when you cut your hair, even though he liked it, because he's going to see it. Whatever it may be, you got your own things, right? Be honest, straightforward, keep no secrets, Okay. Make sure you do those things because what's done in darkness, the Bible says, will be brought out in light. Third, let's look at verse 9. This is good. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. The third key to a successful marriage is to stay focused on your marriage. Don't be half in and half out. Be all in. Amen? You got to stay focused in your relationship. Keep your eyes on your relationship. Keep your eyes on your marriage. Stay focused. Don't go to sleep. Right? Eutychus should have never been in the windowsill. He should have never been. He was already sleepy. And so, again, you, common sense tells you if you're sleepy, don't sit in the window. Right? Because you're probably going to go to sleep. And if you go to sleep, what's going to happen? You're either going to fall in or you're going to fall out. you got a 50-50 shot. Right? I would rather fall in. In this case, he fall, fell out. We don't need to play Russian roulette with our relationships. Be all in or be all out. You can't be on the fence. Right? That's why Jesus said that. He said, you're either going to love one and hate the other. Right? Or you're going to hate this one and love this one. He said, you can't, you can't have two masters. You can't serve them both. So you're either all in with your relationship. You're all, you can't sit on the fence. You got to be focused. Too many people today in marriages are sitting on the fence. 
Here's what I mean by that. Their focus is not clearly on their relationship or they wouldn't be in the window seal. Windows are made for doing what? Looking. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Windows are made for looking. If he'd have been locked in on the preaching of Paul rather than looking outside what was going on outside, he might not have fell asleep sitting there and fell out of that window. Our focus needs to be on each other and not on something else better. Right? That's out there. Whatever's going on outside the window. Y'all with me? If you're going to have a successful marriage, stay focused on your relationship. Okay, don't... We shouldn't get married thinking, I'm going to hang into this one until something better comes along. Paul had done gotten, gotten to be, it appears, here to Eutychus. He just became old shoe. He'd probably heard Paul speaking many times. And he's thinking, oh, Paul, here he comes. And this joker here, y'all better have packed a lunch <clears throat> and a supper and breakfast because <clears throat> Paul going to preach till he gets done. Right? I'm, you know, here I am. He, he might have been in the upper room and Paul walked in. He said, oh, gosh, I didn't get out in time. Closest he could get to the door was the window. I don't know what the problem was. But the reality is he was sitting there, right, and he was not clearly focused on Paul. His focus was on other things. It's, da it's dangerous in a relationship, right, when you're out there and, and, you, and you're not focused on your relationship. You're focused on somebody else's, right? You ever been around somebody that uh, they get around the opposite sex, if you will? They're married, but when they're around this other person, you can, you can see them. They don't even want to mention they're married. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? They go to get the haircut, you know, and the hairdressers, you know, if it's a different, you know, if it's a man or if it's a woman, depending on what you got going on there, right? So let's just say it's me. You're sitting there. Lady walks up. She's cutting my hair. She's an attractive lady, right? And we start talking and start talking. About, she's talking about her kids and we're talking about life, you know, and you hear people, if you just sit and listen sometimes, you know they're married. Yeah. But you ain't hearing none of that, right? You ain't hearing, oh, yeah, boy, I've been married 20 years, love my wife, got kids and all that. Never hear it. Right? You're just hearing other things, right? You're just hearing some flirtatious things. That's dangerous territory, right? Our focus should always remain on our loved one because remember, you said you loved them enough to stand in front of God and say, yes, I dedicate myself to you in sickness and in health, right? In, 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 in prosperity and in, 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 in um, uh, um, whatever that is, <laughs> right? I've said it a million times, Candace went blank. You ever went blank? You ever just lost it for just a minute? Right. I just went blank. Y'all okay. know what I'm saying, right? You stood there and you said those things before God. You said it looking at them, right? Now, if I ever was in a, in, a, in a marriage ceremony and the person that's saying it to the other person ain't looking at them, we got a problem, yeah. right? So they should be looking at them and saying, I do, in sickness and in health and prosper, all those things, right? But the other thing was, as you say, until death do us part to God, right? You're saying, I am all in. I would, I would take a grenade for you. <laughs> Amen? I mean, I'm all in. That's what we said. But, but you was only all in until, you know, the honeymoon was over with, and then you, you, you lost your focus, right? So a lot of times, that's what happens. Our focus gets off of the relationship and I know what some people may be thinking right now because I've thought it myself. Yeah, but I didn't lose my focus. They lost their focus. So when they lost their focus, it caused me to lose my focus. Well, just because I went blind don't mean you got to go blind. Is that right? My eyesight's getting worse, but it doesn't mean Christie's has to get worse. Right? Just because mine's getting worse. You know, we don't, my mom, my, I used to make me so mad when I was a little boy. Y'all probably, some of y'all's mama said this. She said, why'd you do that? And I would say, I had an older sister. She was a problem, okay? At least in my mind. She was a good person. But I always said she was the reason why I did what I did. She got a bad rap most of the time. I did it because I wanted to do it, regardless of what she said do. And my mama said, if your sister jumped off a building, would you jump off with her? Yeah. Any of y'all's mom ever said that? Oh, yeah. You know what I want to say? Yes. <laughs> She's bigger than I am, right? But you didn't say that because she'd spank you, right? So... But again, just because, just because somebody else loses their focus don't mean you lose your focus. If, if your spouse has lost their focus, don't lose yours. Amen? Because the blind can't lead the blind. Did you hear what I said? The blind cannot lead the blind. 
If both of us have lost our focus, how are we going to get back to where we're supposed to be? Somebody's got to keep you focused, right? So that you can get that back to where it should be. Man, that was good, and y'all didn't. That was good. That ain't in my notes, right? That's just a God thing. I got to write. My wife is writing that down wherever she's at, right? She's going to remind me of that. That's important, though. Don't lose your focus, right? Make sure that you keep your focus so that you can lead that one back, okay? That's the important thing. So five keys to a long, prosperous, successful marriage. I'm hurrying here, trying to keep God in your marriage, right? Make Him first because He is love. Love must be in that relationship. Have no secrets, right? Stay focused. Don't lose your focus. In verse 9 as well. We read to you here the second part of this being fallen into a deep sleep and Paul was long preaching and he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up <laughs> dead. He lost his focus. Now I'm going to pick on Paul a little bit right here. Now I know I'm going to get some of the men to say amen here. <laughs> so y'all ready? Ladies, don't take this the wrong way. I know, I know we're going to get it. He said he fell out of the window because Paul was long preaching. Long-winded. No when enough is enough. In other words, no when to shut up. <laughs> we as spouses need to practice listening more than talking, right? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, no when to stop. Men, quit putting your foot in your mouth. At some point in time, just stop. Right, because you're just digging a deeper ditch. You're digging a ditch you can't get back out of. Right? Know when to stop. Ladies, same thing. No matter how many times you say it, for three hours laying with them in the bed over and over, they, ain't gonna, they got it the first time. Right? Because after time, you just, it just, it's just Charlie Brown. Wah, 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 wah. Right? It ain't setting in. So if you want a long, prosperous, successful marriage... Keep God in it, have no secrets, stay focused, but know when to hush. Now, I'm just saying that we're kidding around, but that's the truth, right? You got to understand, you got to know when to stop, right? Because here's what happens. When you get in one of those spats, and you're going to get in them because we're different people. I've heard one relationship that I've heard of, somebody's told me we've never fought. And I thought you'd never lied either, have you? That was my first thought. I'm not going to lie about it. We in church. We never have had a cross word. I thought, yeah, boy, we need to anoint you, right? <laughs> but what happens when you get in those spats, you know what buttons to push. Can I get a witness? Amen. I know what's going to make my wife just, right? And she knows what's going to do that to me. And the more she says what she says, the more I'm going to say what I say. And we just pull out the list. Amen? And the longer you've been married, you've got a longer list. Is that right? So you know what to say. Right? So she says it, and you go down here. You know what to say next. And you just keep going. If you continue to do that, it is toxic. Right? What has to happen is the hardest thing that anybody can do is just don't say nothing and walk away from it. Right? Just don't say nothing. Right? Come back later, right? And, and try to, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The Bible says that is very true. Deal with it before you go to bed because remember, you're supposed to love that person. Right? You ain't laying there thinking, I'm going to kill him before morning. <laughs> or I'm going to kill her, right? You're supposed to love them. So you want to make sure if there is an issue, get it right before you go to sleep. Here's why. I know of several people's husbands or wives that never woke up and they lay down with them. You don't want that to be the last thing, the last memory you have of your spouse is y'all were fighting and you didn't talk again. The last thing you heard them say was something hateful to you. If you're going to have a successful marriage, get all that stuff under the blood before you go to sleep. Right? Get it right between each other. Get it right with God and before you go to sleep. Know when enough is enough and know when to stop. Right, Because again, this is supposed to be the person you love more than anybody in the world other than God. Yeah. Is that right? That's right? Last I checked. 
you know, when you look at the hierarchy, how it's supposed to go, if you will, love God, right? He said, love God first, love your neighbor, your wife, or your husband is your neighbor, right? You should love them next. And, in, and the way I see it, God, right, my wife, others, my children, or my children, others, I better get that right, others, right? So however you want to rank it, it's just God and your neighbor, Okay, that's what he said. Those are the two greatest commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. And he said the second one is like the first one, right? Love them. So I should love my wife, and you should love your husband. And so if that's the most important person in my life other than Jesus, right? You with me? I need to know when to stop. That's important. Poking holes, here's the thing I want you to get. Next time you have an opportunity and you got a piece of wood somewhere, grab you about 10 or 12 nails. Get one and nail it in. You get another one, nail it in. Get another one, nail it in. Get another one, nail them in a piece of this piece of wood. Nail them all the way through. And then when you get a little time, pull them back out. The thing here is, is no matter, you know, when you poke those nails in that wood, it changes it forever. When you pull those nails out, there are holes there that are going to remain. And every time you poke at your, at your loved one, you're just poking nail holes in something that can never be taken back. Once you say it, you can't get it back. Forgiveness can be granted, but it'll never be forgotten. Did you hear me? Forgiveness can be granted, but it'll never be forgotten. God did not give us the, give us the ability to forget. Okay? And as much as we say, I forgive you and I forget it, you're not going to forget it. Those holes will always be there. And every time you feel like you get in a situation with your spouse, you feel like, uh-oh, I remember this. There was a, there's, a, there's a dart coming. There's a dart coming, even though it may not be, because you've got a hole in your fence already that reminds you about it, right? So know when to stop. Don't create any more holes than what you've already got. Holes let Satan in. Amen? Amen. Holes let Satan in. Verse 10. We'll try to close this thing up here. Verse 10. Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. A good spouse will love you in spite of your failures and will be there to pick you up when you fall. Amen? Just like Paul here, he could have been angry at this young man. He could have just said, Well, he deserves what he got. Right? He shouldn't have fell asleep on God. He deserves what he got. That was God's will. God punished him. He could have said a lot of things. But Paul ran down from where he was, ran down and fell on him. He absolutely just laid on this man and prayed for him that God would restore him. Okay? God would restore him. So a good spouse will love us in spite of our failures and be there to pick us up. Paul picked him up and said, he's not dead. He still lives. If you're in here today and your relationship is struggling... It's not dead, right? It's not dead at all. It might have fallen, but it ain't dead. It's just waiting on you and I to come and rescue it, right? And to raise it up. You're going to have failures in your life. One of the greatest tragedies, again, that I see in relationships is we try to hold our spouse to a standard that we ourselves cannot achieve. Amen? We try to hold them to a standard that we ourselves cannot achieve. Amen? We try to make them be somebody they're not. Gentlemen, your wife's not going to be your mama. They're not going to be. They're not. They're not going to cook like your mama. They're not going to be as sweet sometimes as your mama. They're not going to fold your clothes like your mama. They're not going to iron like your mama and all those things because they're not your mama. And ladies, you know, they're not, this guy's not going to be your dad or he's not going to be your prince or whatever you want him to be. He's not. He's not. He is who he is. We're all separate and we're all different. Okay? And, you know, if, if I myself can't, if I can't do something in our relationship, then how can I expect my wife to do it? Right? And vice versa. We're a team. Okay? So we should, we should come together. And the way a relationship is supposed to work, ladies and gentlemen, is this. Where I have strengths and she has weaknesses... I should fill that void. And where she has strengths and she has, or I have strengths and you know what I'm saying. Vice versa. Okay. If she's got a strength and a weakness, I should be her strength. 
And if I've got a strength and weakness, she should be my strength, right? Wherever that weakness is, do you know that Jack Welch, who was accredited for turning GE around, he was the CEO of GE. I think Jack's dead now. One of the two things he said, he said two things. Somebody asked him one time, he said, how did you do it? What kind of advice would you give to other CEOs, managers, plant managers, whoever it may be, supervisors? What would you do? One of the things he said was, is doesn't matter, doesn't, doesn't fit to this story. But the other thing he said was, is this, hire smarter. He said, do you know that most CEOs and most managers fail because they refuse to hire somebody they think is smarter than they are? Where they have a weakness, they refuse to hire somebody that has a strength in that because they're afraid it's going to make them look bad. But you should always, if, you're, if you are in leadership anywhere, this is good for you whether in church or out, and you know what your weaknesses are, and we all know what we have weaknesses, if you've got the opportunity to hire somebody to help you, hire somebody that's going to be strong in your weakness. Right? Because that's going to be your Timothy, Paul. Amen? That's the way it's going to be. And in your relationships, it should be the same. Right? Where you have a weakness, don't be too proud, men, to let your wife help you. Right? And ladies, same thing. Because you're now a team. Right? You're not separate. He said you are now one. Right? A good spouse will... Love in spite of failures and be there to pick you up when you fall. Let's close with Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. I'm going to ask Brother Tony to come. He's going to sing to us tonight. It closes us in worship here. These uh, This morning, rather. And these altars are open. But as he's coming, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Listen to what he says. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. You ever slowed down and read that? Can I back up to that verse 9? Two are better than one. That's usually where we stop. Because they have a good reward for their labor. That doesn't seem to fit in that sentence, does it? Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. It does fit. It fits because of this. The labor is you have two. Now they become one. And there is work involved in twisting that thing together. Right? It takes work to braid somebody's hair. I've always wanted to do that, and I can't do it. Somebody needs to show me how to do it. I can't do it. It's a mess. Your head would be a mess if I tried to do it. My hand would be tied up in your hair, and we wouldn't be able to get it out without cutting it. It takes work to take two ends and spin those things together to the point that they stick. Right? But he said, if you can do it, if you can be patient enough, is what this verse is saying. If you can be patient enough to work with each other, to the point that you just intertwine with each other, it's going to be worth it in the end. Amen. The reward, there's a good reward for the labor. Verse 10 says, For if they fall, as we said, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. If all we do is put our spouses down, how can you expect them to be there to pick you up when you fall? Amen. Right? How can we expect that? If all we do is beat them down, how can we expect them to be there to help us? Right? They can't reach up and grab you and help you because you've got your foot on their head. Right? Again, Jesus said it twice. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? Right? So if the two of you are together, there's heat, right? You're no longer lonely and sad and cold and indifferent, right? When a true husband and wife gets together, right, and they lay together, there's heat. Can I get a witness? Yeah. Married couples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I heard something. Um, I got to talk to Sister Veronica. These young people. Two together, right? There's heat, there's love, there's passion, right? There is passion, and where passion is given, passion is given. If one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. Now, I'm going to use a couple here that I feel like I can use pretty good, and this is Brother Joey's mom and daddy. Now, both of them are small in stature. But I would venture to say to you, they're in their 80s now, 80 and 85. 
if you even said something strange or looked strange or done anything strange to Sister Willa May, Brother Bobby would be on your head. <laughs> you got to know him. And vice versa. You ain't seen a woman get loose like Sister Willa May. If you say anything about Bobby. I mean, it's like the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> right? So if you got, if these two are together, right, and there's true love there, you got somebody on your side. If nobody else has got your back, your wife or your husband should always have your back. God's got your back, and they should have your back. Right? Last thing I'm going to say right here, guys and gals, is this. <laughs> I've, had, I've I had to repent about this because we all do this sometimes, kidding, and I do it to my wife quite often, and I always remind her when she does it to me. <laughs> Y'all notice how I threw that in there. But, look, I mean, this is your wife or your husband. You ever anybody say at the water cooler at work, my old lady, you know, she just, she don't, her hair is a mess, you know, and she's, you know, she just stinks and, <laughs> you know, she don't let herself go. You know, you, you're telling people this is your wife for crying out loud, Right? Or ladies, you get on the phone gossiping with your best friend. You know what I'm saying, huh? That old lazy, old heifer laying in old. <laughs> he ought to marry his recliner. <laughs> he loving on that thing when he loving on me. Right? Man, we're supposed to be. <laughs> this is supposed to be the love of your life. You know what I'm saying? So, you know. Let's don't put each other down, right? It, it, look, there's enough people coming against you. You're going to need somebody to help you, right? And if all she hears you saying is you call me a huzzy, a heifer, right? Well, I ain't going to, this heifer ain't coming to help you when you need it, right? You see what I'm saying? Come on now. So if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. He throws that in there at the end, right? He's just talking about two of you to begin with, but then he says, but a three. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We know that's Christ, right? We know that's God, right? You wrap God here. You wrap that. You intertwine the two of you around Jesus. And ain't nothing you can't accomplish. Amen? Ain't, there's nothing you can't accomplish. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this. I think that's why he said in the book of Psalms, right? Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I just envision, right, those old, those old vines that grow in the woods, right, and you see how they just kind of wrap each other, around each other, right? All, there's like three or four of them that's wrapped, right? And it just creates this, and you can cut it and make one of those rods. Right, there we go. Moses, right, Moses and Aaron. You know, Aaron, Moses had a, had a rod and a staff. Jesus is our rod and our staff. If we just take ourselves and wind ourselves up with Christ, right, he's there. He's always with us, and you can't defeat it. I want to pray with you here today.